Hi, everyone, and welcome, and thank you for those of you that are following the podcast. I Today, we have a very special guest, Dr. Martinez. He is the Executive Director of NCCHC Leadership Fellows Program in San Diego. So he is going to explain a little bit of what that is, and of course, tell us about his, his whole story, background, and everything that we want to share with all of our listeners. Thank you so much, Dr. Martinez, for being with us. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me to your podcast. I'm really excited to, that you're doing this. I uh, remember you from when you went to our fellows program, and, and uh, you've gotten a doctorate since then, Dr. Adame, and you've gotten you've gotten promotion at the institution. I'm proud of you. Congratulations on your achievements thus far. Thank so, you. I appreciate your inviting me. The NCCHC Leadership Fellows Program is, is a national program. It's uh, helping uh, Latina Latinos who want to move up the organizational ladder in community colleges. We still don't have enough of us uh, across the country. We're only 4% of Latinos and Latinos. And, in, uh, in, in presidencies, for example, uh, I'm, I'm pleased, I'm proud to say that we just placed the 15th president out of our fellows program. So we're making good progress. We have uh, five vice chancellors uh, and 25 uh, vice presidents, the people that have moved up, uh, fellows that have moved up over the past uh, three years. So we're making progress, but there's a lot more to do. Amazing. Thank you so much. So we want to know about Dr. Martinez. We want to know about Ted. We want to know how you got to be where you are and how you got to accomplish the amazing things that you have. Tell us about your background. Tell us about your upbringing. I was born and raised in in a small town called Asherton, uh, which is south of San Antonio. And I, I was, uh, it was a migrant uh, community. Um, you know, people left there in the summer and went to work on West Texas or Northern state, 1,600 people, all Mexicanos. Everybody spoke Spanish. Uh, my family uh, didn't speak English at all. I was born and raised in a one-bedroom house with a kitchen attached that had a dirt floor and a wood stove. And there were seven children, uh, th- four girls and three boys. That's where I was born and, and, and raised. And one of the things that, that uh, I enjoyed about our parents was that they were committed to education. So I'm here today because of their commitment. And they uh, understood that it was important for, for all, all seven children to finish high school. So they were committed to that. And they would let us know that that, that was that was their commitment and they wouldn't give us any break. You have to go to school no matter what. I owe uh, that to them because they, they insisted that, that we do that. One of the things that, that I want to share is that as I was growing up, I was my father used to work for the Central Power and Light Company a big uh, company at the time. He worked about 20 years for them and then they laid him off without any any benefits. So he didn't get any benefits, retirement benefits, anything like that. And so he was a, the, the, the only breadwinner. And so uh, he's, he luckily, uh, he had a lot of skills. He, he, he could do plumbing, he could do electricity, he could build anything. And so he started doing uh, jobs like that and then uh, began to work in the fields. Uh, around Asherton is called the Winter Garden area at the time. You could pick uh, melons, cantaloupes, uh, cotton. Uh, it was all kinds of different fruits and vegetables that, that uh, we were able to work. So he started working there when I was uh, young. He would take me everywhere when, when I was in six or seven years, he would take me with him. When I was started going to school, when I was about eight or nine, he would come and pick me up at school and take me to help him in the fields, whether it's onions or cotton or anything. <clears throat> so I grew up uh, working working in the fields uh, in my early days. <clears throat> he, he, <clears throat> so um, we had, um, as, as uh, we were growing up, um, he, he uh, had cataracts, you know, he, he got cataracts. And uh, uh, so he had a couple of accidents, uh, car accidents, and so he, he said, "I can't, I can't drive anymore." <clears throat> so he uh, 
he uh, said, I'm gonna, you need to, you need to learn how to drive. I was 10 years old. Uh, you need to learn how to drive. And so I said, okay. So he took me out to a ranch and, and where there's nobody. I, we had a, a truck, pickup truck with a, with a uh, uh, manual transmission and a traction wheel, all those things. That, and so he showed me how to do it and said, okay, uh, you know, get, get out and do it. And he got off the truck. And so, so I started the, the truck and, and I, I couldn't stop it because it went up in the ditch. He was not happy, but, uh, but, I, but I did learn to drive, you know, at, at, 10, at 10 years old. And so he, uh, I, he used to um, go to San Antonio to uh, go to a farmer's market and, and buy fruits and vegetables. We'd come back to our little communities around and uh, would sell them. So I started driving to San Antonio when I was 10 years old. And I used to put his hat on so that, so that the highway patrol wouldn't stop as he did for a long, long time. But I, never, I was never stopped by, by any highway patrol all those years. And we would do it every weekend. <clears throat> so that was, that was a part of his effort to try to keep the family uh, eating and, and, and surviving. The, the one, one incident I want to say is that I had taken my, my mother to a doctor in Piedras Negras, which is across from Eagle Pass. And uh, we were coming back from there. There was a border patrol stop. And so I stopped and, and they said, you know, are you citizens? The border patrol came. Yes, we're all citizens. And then he said, how old are you, son? I said, I'm 14. He said, do you have a driver's license? I said, no. And I said, well, there's a, a highway patrol man over here that wants to talk to you. So we brought him over. And uh, he uh, said, well, you know, I explained to him, I'm the oldest male. Uh, the, my, my family had there's nobody else to drive. And so I had to go to take her to the doctor. I said, well, I can't drive without a license. I'm going to give, give you a ticket, but there is a special license for an head driver that you might try to get. I said, okay. So uh, my, my father and I worked, out, worked it out. We went and I passed the driver's test, the written test, but I didn't pass the vision test. Can you imagine that? So oh my, my goodness. Cataracts and I needed glasses. So oh, we drove wow. all the years. But, but, and let know, me interrupt you. Let me interrupt you. So this time you're 10 years old. Yes, you're 10. Yes, from 10 to 14, I was driving all over the place. At 14 is, is when they uh, this border patrol stopped us. Goodness. So so that began uh, my uh, my trek to a migrant uh, farm, farm work. So he decided, okay, we have a driver's license now. So he decided that we need to go to we're going to go to Michigan to work in the summers because we can earn more money there. Before my time, he he used to be a he migrant farm worker. He used to go to Colorado and so we're going to go to Michigan. So at 14 years old, we, we packed up our truck, our seven kids and a trailer. And I drove my family all the way to Bay City, Michigan, 2000 miles. It took me a while, but I got there. And so, so there we, we would, we would spend two months, uh, sugar beet thinning, uh, and then, uh, and then one month potatoes. And here's where the commitment to education came. So we would leave, uh, right after school ended and we were back before school started. So they wanted to make sure that all seven kids uh, finished high school. So, um, so that's, that's, uh, that's, and I spent uh, five years going back and forth to Michigan. Uh, the contract ended. I spent, a, uh, we went to California for a year and uh, the, the, the uh, cost of living was so high, we didn't go back. So then we go, we went to North Dakota and, and spent two, two months in North Dakota and then came to Colorado, spent a month there and back to school. So at this time, you're migrant workers, but usually I know migrant workers leave before school starts, you know, they, they leave and they come back after school, you know, and so forth. But you know, your parents were like, you know what, I don't want you guys to miss. Exactly. So there was their commitment and, 
and we, wow. uh, we owe to them our lives because we were all able to finish high school and, and go beyond. And I continued going even through my university years. So, and I'll tell you about my educational journey as well, but so uh, I continued going when I was going to be a senior at the university, I was going to be a teacher. I, I had to tell them that I can't come anymore. Uh, so it was hard, it was hard too, because we had been going all those years as a family, as a unit. And now I had to, to, to uh, separate. I was able to buy me a, a 1958 Chevrolet Impala red that was uh, on a little pedestal. And that's what I drove from there to to uh, to Salvas. I went to Salvas University in Alpine. So that's that's kind of how I grew up. Uh, we were we were poor, um, but we we uh, their commitment to education allowed us to to leave from there. Wow, that's amazing. So so your parents, you said they didn't speak English. You know, the seven kiddos. You're the oldest. You start driving at the age of ten because your your dad gets sick, and you literally start doing this since ten. I mean, I can't just. Yeah. Imagine, I have an 11-year-old son who, you know, imagine him been driving already for a year. Wow, it's amazing. My next question to you was, what adversities do you have to overcome? But I think you just mentioned a, a bunch of them, you know, having to do all that. So tell me a little bit about how was, you know, high school and then um, before you get to college, how were, how were those years? Well, so I had um, the first year I went to a Catholic school and I didn't know a word of English when I went. So I recall that, that uh, it was a uh, sister Anne. Uh, had me uh, reading in front of the class. I remember that. Uh, and so it means that I learned quickly English and I attributed to my father uh, using a syllabario, a little uh, book from Mexico that you learn how to how to read Spanish. And so he, he taught me how to read Spanish. So I, I think the, the transition to English was a lot easier. So I spent a year there and uh, then then my parents then moved us over to, to the public schools. Asherton had an elementary and a in a uh, uh, high school, and so I gradu graduated from there. But there, there were some very key individuals who made a difference in, in my life. Uh, in the eighth grade, I had a, uh, a history teacher, uh, Oscar Villarreal, who took me aside one day and he said, you know, uh, your college material, you should, continue, uh, you should consider going to college. So I had never, I had never heard of college. That was the first time I heard college. And so that stayed in my mind. Uh, I went to the ninth grade, and I had uh, several teachers, but one in particular was uh, Tomas Gutierrez. He was my typing teacher. I admired him because he was a professional. He always had a little tie and a shirt and a professional. That, that I said, I want to be like him. So I decided in the ninth grade that I was going to be a business teacher. So I took all the all the uh, classes that Lexington uh, High School uh, had to offer uh, for business, uh, typing, shorthand. We didn't even know what shorthand is. I was the only, the only guy in a shorthand class, you know, you were, so, and I took uh, bookkeeping and all those. And so uh, when I was going to be a senior, I asked my, my, uh, my shorthand teacher, you know, I want to be a business teacher like you. Uh, can you advise me? I'd like to go to college. And she said, well, um, you can go to Solras. I went, I, I went to Solras, a small university. And uh, I said, okay. So she brought me a catalog of uh, application papers and financial aid and helped me fill it out. I sent it out. So about a month later, I get a letter from Solace. You've been, you've been accepted at Solace University. And so those, those three or four teachers uh, made a difference in my life. They, they were kind of my mentors. Uh, so, so one of the things that I do now is I mentor a lot of people. And that's because I learned, I, I had those mentors very early on. Still, by that time, I was already migrating to the, to the North, but I still I went uh, as a freshman and, and went there to, to finish my bachelor's degree. 
at the Colorado State University. And uh, he, look, here's another person that was very, very key in my, my decision making and my journey. So he was an economics professor, Eddie Dry was his name. And you know, you remember these people because they, they made such an impact in your life. I mean, you, they, they gave you a, a, a decision, they helped you make a decision. <clears throat> she said, you know, uh, I was, I, uh, uh, those of you that want to teach, it's considered teaching at a community college. Um, you know, it, it, it's two years, and you, it's a two years uh, part of a program. It's a new, new thing that's happening. Uh, you need to some master's. Master's, okay. <clears throat> so later on, he was talking about his career and how he got his master's and doctorate. And all that. I finished my, my doctorate before I was 30. Doctorate. Oh, maybe, maybe I have to do that too. So those became my two goals. I was going to be a community college teacher. And I was going to be, I was going to get a doctorate. I have to get a master's first. <clears throat> and I did. As soon as I graduated from my bachelor's, I applied for a master's and I finished it in, in a year, year and a half. And I started looking for a community college job. I couldn't find any at the time. But so I wound up being a teacher, a business teacher in North Dallas High School in Dallas, Texas. And I spent a year there around that time. Uh, Dr. Gilberto de los Santos was looking for uh, teachers to to hire for this new community college, Western Texas College in Snyder, Texas. So I raised my hand and I said, I'm interested. And he said, well, here you go, apply. And they hired me. I was the first, the first, probably the only Latino teacher in that community college back then. <clears throat> so I spent uh, a couple of years there. Of all things, um, Dr. Alfredo Los Santos, who was the first uh, Chicano president of a community college in the country. He was able to get some funding to support 18 Mexican-Americans to go get a doctorate to work in community college administration. I raised my hand again. And so wow. I for the for the uh, for this uh, for the uh, fellowship and I got it. I, I, I could go to I could have gone to University of Arizona or I could have gone to University of USC and I didn't know any of those but I had spent uh, summers in Colorado. So I said, I'll go. So I went to University of Colorado Boulder and I got my doctorate and I was 29 when I got my doctorate. I met my goals. My goal was to be a community college teacher and to get my doctorate by 430. So that's kind of my journey uh, in terms of education. I had a lot of mentors, a lot of people helping me along the way that said, this is the way, this is the way. I have a, a gratitude for for all they did for me during those years. Uh, well, you make it seem so easy, especially when you say it's 29, that you got your doctorate. I'm sure there was a lot of stuff that you had to overcome and do there. But uh, that's amazing, you know, congratulations. Now, tell me a little bit about your siblings, your parents, you know, when you're doing all this, you know, you reach your bachelor's goal, you reach, you know, you, you said, you raise your hand, got a master's, you know, where does your family, what is your family at? Where are they playing a role in? My family, they are continuing to go. They followed the, uh, the migrant stream, even after I stopped for another two, three years. My sisters, my, my younger brothers, they, they finished high school. Each one of us uh, were able to move forward. And so uh, it was a tough time in the early years, but education was the key. Wow, that's amazing. So I know you said that you had the the mentors along the way, but what else helped you persist? I think it was my upbringing uh, because they taught me that the commitment to education. So, so that was the base. It, it allowed me to to get some strength to deal with whatever whatever came, you know that that commitment was probably the most important part of uh, of that of that career, that, that educational career. I mean, um, that's why you're in education, so. <laughs> well, yes, because it was my passion, right? I think um, I, you know, I back to my my family. My family was poor. I mean, I remember that my uh, my mother was would make dresses for the girls and. My father was to fix my shoes so, so that I, I could go to continue going to, to school. And so it, it was those, those kinds of things. But they always shared. 
I mean, they always share to the, the padrinos and madrinas. They always, from that, from that point, I, I knew what giving back was kind of like. As I began my career in El Paso, I began getting involved in an organization in Belize who was a, a president of a, an organization then managed this Southwest Association of Bilingual Education. And it was set up to help uh, bilingual ed teachers. And so I began to pay it forward since then. I was involved in national organizations, all, all designed to, to help uh, uh, faculty and administrators in academic education. I've been doing that because of the mentors that I had. They paid it forward with me, and I'm paying it forward beyond that. I became involved with the National Community College Hispanic Council, NCCAC, for short. Thank you so much. If you had 13-year-old Ted Martinez in front of you, what would you tell him? Well, I, I didn't mention the administrative career pathway because I want to say that sometimes you get, uh, you're, you're pursuing an upper level position. When I was in, in Dallas, uh, I was working in Dallas Community Colleges and I was, you know, it was hard to get, at the time it was hard to get a, uh, even an internship. Like I was the, I was the, the first Latino in, in that division. And so it was hard to, to, to get, but I had a, 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 there was one president who gave me an opportunity to, to become a, 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 a interim vice president. And said, "Open the door." So that another another mentor there, another person who opened doors for me. And so that's why I, I try to open doors for people. And so that allowed me then to to start looking for for a presidency after after that work. And it was difficult. So I applied, 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 and I was just like sometimes they would not even not even recognize or acknowledge that I had been there. It's gonna it's debilitating when you are not when you're not getting what you want. But I never gave up. I, you know, I kept working at it, I kept working at it. And so because of that, I was able to, to go to the City Colleges of Chicago uh, to, to an associate vice chancellor position. And, uh, and I, so I went, I went there and I told the, uh, there was a, a, an acting team there and said, you know, I, I'm coming here because I want to be president of, of one of the campuses. And they said, well, you know, that's not easy to do that. I said, well, that's why I'm here. I want to be president. And so, okay. So 20 months later, I was president of Daily College. It was hard work. I do the best that I can all the time. I, so I say this because to anyone who's hearing, don't give up. If you have a goal, keep after it because eventually you'll get to it. You might have to go uh, another sideways to it, but, but uh, that's, I think it's so important that, that, that uh, you have that commitment to what you believe and what you want to do. Thank you. Talk about persistence, huh? Talk about persistence. You mentioned earlier to set goals. And if you had your goals set, you know, you want to go to college, then doctorate. Now, if I can backtrack really quick before we end, did you ever know or did you ever have in your mind or did you ever set that goal of I want to become a doctor one day? Or when did that come about? To get my doctorate? To get a doctorate degree. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was it was uh, it was that that economics professor Eddie Dry, because I had not heard of a doctor. And that was the first time that I heard it. And so when he mentioned that. I I, uh, I said, well, why not? I mean, I I I, I could do that. So then, so that became my goal again, goal setting and looking at what you want to do. And so I I, pers I pursued uh, uh, the doctorate and and uh, you know, I was lucky and fortunate that I was able to get a, a, a fellowship that I would otherwise I wouldn't have been able to go. So it's it's those opportunities and that commitment and that goal setting that that helps you. Your goals. Thank you so much. So the opportunity came, you took it and, you know, persisted and, and did it. 
I think you're a great example for, for anybody who is going to be listening. Are your parents still around? No, no, they, they, they are fine. Did they get to see you reach your, which up to what, what goals? I think, I think they, they, uh, they, uh, my mother, my mother got to see me get a doctorate. I, I, I took her with me to, so that I could get my, my doctorate at, uh, uh, awarded at, at the University Amazing. Of so Amazing. I drove down and drove him up and and so she got to see her son uh, get all the way up to getting the highest level of education and so my father wow. didn't he, he passed earlier than that but my mother did see uh, the accomplishment. It's amazing. And again, it's the stories that I want to share because, you know, coming from the home that you come in and all that you reached, it's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you for what you do. And uh, it's just the heart of the educator in you. I think that it's the, the, the what pushes people to give back when they're, you know, they're teachers and they see that. So that's amazing. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. I'm honored that you uh, asked me to participate in your podcast. I'm proud of you. You're doing great work as well. And, and I look forward to seeing more successes from you. So thank you so thank much you. for doing this and, and for sharing these stories. It's important that people see and hear because sometimes we have a doubt and it's good to clear them up as you go. Thank yes, you. thank you so much. Thank you.